Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice J, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story, Walking, by Henry David Thoreau. I wish to speak a word for nature, for absolute freedom and wildness, as contrasted with the freedom and culture merely civil, to regard man as an inhabitant or a part and parcel of nature, rather than a member of society. I wish to make an extreme statement. If so, I may make an emphatic one, for there are enough champions of civilization The minister and the school committee and every one of you will take care of that. I have met with but one or two persons in the course of my life who understood the art of walking, that is, of taking walks, who had a genius, so to speak, for sauntering, which word is beautifully derived from idle people who rode about the country in the Middle Ages and asked charity under pretense of going a la santerre to the Holy Land. Till the children exclaimed, There goes a sainterer, a saunterer, a holy lander. They who never go to the holy land in their walks, as they pretend, are indeed mere idlers and vagabonds. But they who do go there are saunterers in the good sense, such as I mean. Some, however, would derive the word from sans, without land or home, which therefore, in the good sense, will mean having no particular home, but equally at home everywhere. For this is the secret of successful sauntering. He who sits still in a house all the time may be the greatest vagrant of all. But the saunterer, in the good sense, is no more vagrant than the meandering river, which is all the while seditiously seeking the shortest course to the sea. But I prefer the first, which, indeed, is the most probable derivation. For every walk is a sort of crusade, preached by some Peter the Hermit in us, to go forth and reconquer this holy land from the hands of the infidels. It is true we are but faint-hearted crusaders, even the walkers nowadays, who undertake no persevering, never-ending enterprises. Our expeditions are but tours and come round again at evening to the old hearthside from which we set out. Half the walk is but retracing our steps. We should go forth on the shortest walk, perchance, in the spirit of undying adventure never to return, prepared to send back our embalmed hearts only as relics to our desolate kingdoms. If you are ready to leave father and mother, and sister and brother, and wife and child and friends, and never see them again, if you've paid your debts, and made your will, and settled all your affairs, and are a free man, then you are ready for a walk. To come down to my own experience, my companion and I, for I sometimes have a companion, take pleasure in fancying ourselves knights of a new or rather an old order, not equestrians or chevaliers or ritters or riders, but walkers, a still more ancient and honorable class, I trust. The chivalric and heroic spirit which once belonged to the rider seems now to reside in or perchance to have subsided into the walker, not the knight, 
but Walker, errant. He is a sort of fourth estate, outside of church and state and people. We have felt that we almost alone hereabouts practice this noble art, though, to tell the truth at least. If their own assertions are to be received, most of my townsmen would fain walk sometimes as I do, but they cannot. No wealth can buy the requisite leisure, freedom, and independence, which are the capital in this profession. It comes only by the grace of God. It requires a direct dispensation from heaven to become a walker. You must be born into the family of the walkers. Ambulator nascitur non fit. Some of my townsmen, it is true, can remember and have described to me some walks which they took ten years ago, in which they were so blessed as to lose themselves for half an hour in the woods. But I know very well that they have confined themselves to the highway ever since. Whatever pretensions they may make to belong to this select class, no doubt they were elevated for a moment as by the reminiscence of a previous state of existence when even they were foresters and outlaws. When he came to Greenwood in a merry morning, there he heard the note small of birds merry singing. It is fair gone, said Robin, that I was last here. Me list a little for to shoot at the Donadere. I think that I cannot preserve my health and spirits, unless I spend four hours a day at least. It is commonly more than that, sauntering through the woods and over the hills and fields, absolutely free from all worldly engagements. You may safely say, a penny for your thoughts or a thousand pounds, when sometimes I am reminded that the mechanics and shopkeepers stay in their shops not only all the forenoon, but all the afternoon too, sitting with cross legs, so many of them, as if the legs were made to sit upon and not to stand or walk upon. I think that they deserve some credit for not having all committed suicide long ago. I, who cannot stay in my chamber for a single day without acquiring some rust, and when I sometimes have stolen forth for a walk at the eleventh hour of four o'clock in the afternoon, too late to redeem the day, when the shades of night were already beginning to be mingled with the daylight, have felt as if I had committed some sin to be atoned for. I confess that I am astonished at the power of endurance, to say nothing of the moral insensibility, of my neighbors who confined themselves to shops and offices the whole day, for weeks and months, aye, and years almost together. I know not what manner of stuff they are of, sitting there now at three o'clock in the afternoon, as if it were three o'clock in the morning. Bonaparte may talk of the three o'clock in the morning courage, but it is nothing to the courage which can sit down cheerfully at this hour in the afternoon over against oneself when you have known all the morning to starve out a garrison to whom you are bound by such strong ties of sympathy. I wonder that about this time, or, say, between four and five o'clock in the afternoon, too late for the morning papers and too early for the evening papers, there is not a general explosion heard up and down the street, scattering a legion of antiquated and horse-bred notions and whims to the four winds for an airing. And so the evil cure itself. How womankind, who are confined to the house still more than men, stand it, I do not But I have grown to suspect that most of them do not stand it at all. 
when early in a summer afternoon, we have been shaking the dust of the village from the skirts of our garments, making haste past these houses with purely Doric or Gothic fronts, which have such an air of repose about them, my companion whispers that probably about these times their occupants are all gone to bed. Then it is that I appreciate the beauty and the glory of architecture, which itself never turns in, but forever stands out and erect, keeping watch over the slumberers. No doubt temperament and, above all, age have a good deal to do with it. As a man grows older, his ability to sit still and follow indoor occupations increases. He grows vespertinal in his habits as the evening of life approaches, till at last he comes forth only just before sundown and gets all the walk that he requires half an hour. But the walking of which I speak has nothing in it akin to taking exercise, as it is called, as the sick take medicine at stated hours, as the swinging of dumbbells or chairs, but is itself the enterprise and adventure of the day. If you would get exercise, go in search of the springs of life. Think of a man swinging dumbbells for his health, when those springs are bubbling up in far-off pastures, unsought by him. Moreover, you must walk like a camel, which is said to be the only beast which ruminates when walking. When a traveler asked Wordsworth's servant to show him her master's study, she answered, Here's his library, but his study is out of doors. Living much out of doors, in the sun and wind, will no doubt produce a certain roughness of character, will cause a thicker cuticle to grow over some of the finer qualities of our nature, as on the face and hands, or as severe manual labor robs the hands of some of their delicacy of touch. So staying in the house, on the other hand, may produce a softness and smoothness, not to say thinness of skin, accompanied by an increased sensibility to certain impressions. Perhaps we should be more susceptible to some influences important to our intellectual and moral growth. If the sun had shone, and the wind had blown on us a little less, and no doubt it is a nice matter to proportion rightly the thick and thin skin, but methinks that is a scurf that will fall off fast enough that the natural remedy is to be found in the proportion which the night bears to the day, the winter to the summer, thought to experience. There will be so much the more air and sunshine in our thoughts. The callous palms of the laborer are conversant with finer tissues of self-respect and heroism, whose touch thrills the heart, than the languid fingers of idleness, that is mere sentimentality, that lies abed by day and thinks itself white, far from the tan and callous of experience. When we walk, we naturally go to the fields and woods. What would become of us if we walked only in a garden or a mall? Even some sects of philosophers have felt the necessity of importing the woods to themselves, since they did not go to the woods. They planted groves and walks of platane, where they took subdiales abulantiones in porticos open to the air. Of course, it is of no use to direct our steps to the woods if they do not carry us thither. I am alarmed when it happens that I have walked a mile into the woods bodily without getting there in spirit. In my afternoon walk, I would fain forget all my morning occupations and my obligations to society. But it sometimes happens that I cannot easily shake off the village. 
The thought of some work will run in my head and I am not where my body is. I am out of my senses. In my walks, I would fain return to my senses. What business have I in the woods if I am thinking of something out of the woods? I suspect myself and cannot help a shudder when I find myself so implicated even in what are called good works, for this may sometimes happen. My vicinity affords many good walks, and though for so many years I have walked almost every day and sometimes for several days together, I have not yet exhausted them. An absolutely new prospect is a great happiness, and I can still get this any afternoon. Two or three hours walking will carry me to as strange a country as I expect ever to see. A single farmhouse which I had not seen before is sometimes as good as the dominions of the King of Dahomey. There is, in fact, a sort of harmony, discoverable between the capabilities of the landscape within a circle of ten miles radius, or the limits of an afternoon walk, and the threescore years and ten of human life. It will never become quite familiar to you. Nowadays, almost all men's improvements, so-called as the building of houses and the cutting down of the forest and of all large trees, simply form the landscape and make it more and more tame and cheap. A people who had begun by burning the fences and let the forest stand. I saw the fences half consumed, their ends lost in the middle of the prairie, and some worldly miser with a surveyor looking after his bounds, while heaven had taken place around him, and he did not see the angels going to and fro, and was looking for an old post hole in the midst of paradise. I looked again, and saw him standing in the middle of a boggy, Stygian fen surrounded by devils, and he had found his bounds without a doubt. Three little stones, where a stake had been drawn, and looking nearer, I saw that the Prince of Darkness was his surveyor. I can easily walk ten, fifteen, twenty, any number of miles, commencing at my own door without going to any house, without crossing a road except where the fox and the mink do, first along by the river, and then the brook, and then the meadow and the woodside. There are square miles in my vicinity which have no inhabitant. From many a hill I can see civilization and the abodes of men afar. The farmers and their works are scarcely more obvious than woodchucks and their burrows. Man and his affairs, church and state and school, trade and commerce, and manufactures and agriculture, even politics, the most alarming of them all. I am pleased to see how little space they occupy in the landscape. Politics is but a narrow field, and that still narrower highway yonder leads to it. I sometimes direct the traveler thither. If you would go to the political world, follow the great road. Follow that market man, keep his dust in your eyes, and it will lead you straight to it. For it, too, has its place merely, and does not occupy all space. I pass from it as from a bean field into the forest, and it is forgotten. In one half hour I can walk off to some portion of the earth's surface, where a man does not stand from one year's end to another, and there, consequently, politics are not, for they are but as the cigar smoke of The village is the place to which the roads tend, a sort of expansion of the highway as a lake of a river. It is the body of which roads are the arms and legs, a trivial or quadrivial place, a thoroughfare and ordinary of travelers. 
The word is from the Latin villa, which, together with via, or way, or mere anciently ved and vela, varo derives from vejo, to carry, because the villa is the place to and from which things are carried. They who got their living by teeming or said velaturum facere, hence too apparently the Latin word villis and are vile, also villain. This suggests what kind of degeneracy villagers are liable to. They are way-worn by the travel that goes by and over them without traveling themselves. Some do not walk at all. Others walk in the highways. A few walk across lots. Roads are made for horses and men of business. I do not travel in them much comparatively because I am not in a hurry to get to any tavern or grocery or livery stable or depot to which they lead. I am a good horse to travel, but not from choice a roadster. The landscape painter uses the figures of men to mark a road. He would not make that use of my figure. I walk out into a nature such as the old prophets and poets. Manu, Moses, Omer, Chaucer walked in. You may name it America, but it is not America. Neither Americus Vespucius, nor Columbus, nor the rest were the discoveries of it. There is a truer account of it in mythology than in any history of America, so-called, that I name. However, there are a few worlds that may be trodden with profit, as if they led somewhere now that they are nearly discontinued. There is the old Marlborough Road, which does not go to Marlborough Row, methinks, unless that is Marlborough where it carries me. I am the bolder to speak of it here, because I presume that there are one or two such roads in every town. The Old Marble Road Where they once dug for money but never found any, where sometimes Marshall Miles simply flies, and Elijah would, I fear for no good, no other man save Elisha Dugan, all men of wild habits, partridges and rabbits, who had no cares only to set snares, who lived all alone, close to the bone, and where life is sweetest, constantly eatest. When the spring stirs my blood with the instinct to travel, I can get enough gravel on the old Marlborough Road. Nobody repairs it, for nobody wears it. It is a living way, as the Christians say. Not many there be who enter therein, only the guests of the Irishman Quinn. What is it, what is it but a direction up there? And the bare possibility of going somewhere? Great guideboards of stone, but travelers none. Cenotaphs of the towns named on their crowns. It is worth going to see where you might be. What king did the thing? I'm still wondering. Set up how or when by what select men, Gorgias or Lee, Clark or Darby. Their great endeavor to be something forever, blank tablets of stone, where a traveler might groan and in one sentence grave all that is known, which another might read in his extreme need. I know one or two lines that might do, literature that might stand all over the land, which a man could remember till next December, and read again in the spring after the thawing, if with fancy unfurled you leave your abode, you may go round the world by the old Marlborough Road. At present in this vicinity, the best part of the land is not private property. The landscape is not owned, and the walker enjoys comparative freedom. 
but possibly the day will come when it will be partitioned off into so-called pleasure grounds, in which a few will take a narrow and exclusive pleasure only, when fences shall be multiplied, and man-traps and other engines invented to confine men to the public road, and walking over the surface of God's earth shall be construed to mean trespassing on some gentleman's grounds. To enjoy a thing exclusively is commonly to exclude yourself from the true enjoyment of it. Let us improve our opportunities then, before the evil days come. What is it that makes it so hard sometimes to determine whether we will walk? I believe that there is a subtle magnetism in nature, which, if we unconsciously yield to it, will direct us aright. It is not indifferent to us which way we walk. There is a right way, but we are very liable from heedlessness and stupidity to take the wrong one. We would fain take that walk, never yet taken by us through this actual world, which is perfectly symbolical of the path which we love to travel in the interior and ideal world, and sometimes, no doubt, we find it difficult to choose our direction, because it does not yet exist distinctly in our idea. When I go out of the house for a walk, uncertain as yet whither I will bend my steps, and submit myself to my instinct to decide for me, I find, strange and whimsical as it may seem, that I finally and inevitably settle southwest, toward some particular wood, or meadow, or deserted pasture, or hill in that direction. My needle is slow to settle, varies a few degrees, and does not always point due southwest, it is true. And it has good authority for this variation, but it always settles between south and southwest. The future lies that way to me, and the earth seems more unexhausted and richer on that side. The outline which would bound my walks would be not a circle, but a parabola, or rather like one of those cometary orbits which have been thought to be non-returning curves, in this case opening westward, in which my house occupies the place of the sun. I turn round and round irresolute sometimes for a quarter of an hour, until I decide, for the thousandth time, that I will walk into the southwest or west. Eastward I go only by force, but westward I go... Thither no business leads me. It is hard for me to believe that I shall find fair landscapes or sufficient wildness and freedom behind the eastern horizon. I am not excited by the prospect of a walk thither but I believe that the forest which I see in the western horizon stretches uninterruptedly toward the setting sun, and there are no towns nor cities in it of enough consequence to disturb me. Let me live where I will. On this side is the city, on that the wilderness, and ever I am leaving the city more and more, and withdrawing into the wilderness. I should not lay so much stress on this fact if I did not believe that something like this is the prevailing tendency of my country. I must walk toward Oregon and not toward Europe. And that way the nation is moving, and I may say that mankind progress from east to west. Within a few years we have witnessed the phenomenon of a southeastward migration in a settlement of Australia, but this affects us as a retrograde movement, and judging from the moral and physical character of the first generation of Australians, has not yet proved a successful experiment. The eastern Tartars think that there is nothing west beyond Tibet, the world ends there, they say. Beyond there is nothing but a shoreless sea. It is unmitigated east where they live. We go eastward to realize history and study the works of art and literature, retracing the steps of the race 
We go westward as into the future with the spirit of enterprise and adventure. The Atlantic is a leftian stream, and our passage over which we have had an opportunity to forget the old world and its institutions. If we do not succeed this time, there is perhaps one more chance for the race left before it arrives on the banks of the Styx, and that is in the left of the Pacific, which is three times as wide. We'll continue this story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we are always on the lookout for great stories to read. You can email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 